Thank you. On this uh, Martin Luther King uh, weekend, uh, thank you for that song choir. Um, and uh, we, this is a weekend to honor his life, uh, what he did to advance the civil rights movement and uh, but the work on racism and hatred and inequality is not anywhere near finished. And uh, we, uh, we are... We are partly, we are responsible for that. We are the human beings that continue to find ways uh, to demean and hate one another. And so uh, what what better way than to live at peace and uh, do what we can in as much as it is up to you, uh, live at peace with your neighbors. And so uh, I hope you'll find some time during this uh, weekend to just uh, pray for uh, the healing of this nation and the healing of the hearts of mankind in regard to how we how we treat one another. Uh, We are in a new series uh, now. Uh, fresh start, new attitude, new year. And, uh, we, we began this last, uh, week and we used Philippians chapter two and, uh, Paul used a liturgy from the early church that described the ministry of Jesus and the character of Jesus. And this entire, uh, sermon is going to be, uh, ser- sermon series is going to be based on having the mind of Christ, us becoming more like Christ. That's what we are called to do. Let me just, this isn't going to be on the screen, but let me just remind you of that passage. It begins in chapter 2, verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Or other versions, you must have the mind of Christ. Verse 4, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul, writing to that that early church, that, that early version of Christianity uh, that was... That was uh, made up of a lot of folks that had converted over from Judaism. They they understood religious life. They understood religious practice. But Paul was saying to the church, if we're gonna if we're gonna do this new thing that Jesus has instituted, then we're gonna have to act like Jesus. Religious activity is not the goal. Um, the the continued old ways are not the goal. The 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 goal is for us to follow the example of Christ, for us to become like Christ, for us to have His same attitude, to have His mind. And so over these weeks, we're going to take some of the attributes of Christ that are described in this passage, and we're going to talk about them with the, with the hope and the idea that we, we find ourselves in the midst of that and, and work to, to increase that yearning that we move out of our comfort zone, we move out of our tradition, we, we move out of our own self-reliance and self-satisfaction into this hunger and thirst that I, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. 
Things like racism and hunger and war, those are going to be a part of our story until we become like Jesus. We we can make a difference in the world around us, in your family, in our community, in the church, in 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 our in our nation. We can make a difference by mim- mimicking who he was and what he was trying to do. This morning, we're going to what we're going to focus on is humility, humility, and that's that's a hard word to define. And it's especially hard in, in the American church and with the American idealism and stuff, uh, sort of our culture. Uh, humility comes off as a timidness or a meekness uh, or a weakness. And, and, and we, we sort of see humility. We, we recognize humility. We, we also, a lot of times, humility that we, we sort of shoot for is a false humility. Where, uh, you, you want everybody to know how great you are, but you go, oh, it, it, that's nothing, right? It, that's false humility. And, 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 but a true humility is anything but weak. A true humility can only come from somebody who is so self-assured of who they are, of what their job is, of what their mission is, of what their identity is. There's, there, they are, there is such an assurance about that that they are able to let go of that desire to prove themselves to the world around us, right? It's, it's a very rare thing. And, and I've read that humility is, is more delicate than a rose, that as soon as it starts to blossom and you enjoy it and claim it, it shrivels up again, Right? It, it, it just, it, it's this, but it's the goal of who we are called to be. And Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. Jesus had this, this self-assurance. He was so positive of, of his identity as part of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all-powerful, all-knowing. All can do anything and everything, create uh, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. He was so assured of his uh, authority and power, his identity, but he didn't cling to that. It says in that passage that he didn't cling to his equality with God as something that was important to him, but he was willing to give that up. In other words, he was willing to to give up his his divine seat on the the throne and put on human form and come and become one of us. Our belief is that Jesus, while remaining God, he was 100% God, became 100% human. And I know the math doesn't work on that, but God's not controlled by math, right? He he humbled himself into a human being. He, He... he put on our suffering, our our shortcomings, our desires. Uh, he he wore all of that and was willing to shrink. I mean, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. If anyone desired, lived a life that deserved to to get everything he ever should have wanted, it was Jesus. But that's not the story of our Savior. It begins with the King of Kings being born to a teenage girl in in the outdoors. 
that had to go on the run at the age of two or three because his life was in danger, who as he grew up and began his ministry was ridiculed and and made fun of and beaten and mistreated and misunderstood over and over again and ultimately ended up giving his life on a cross. He humbled himself. Another way of thinking of it is he was willing to turn the spotlight from him to his father. He didn't need the attention. He didn't need, he didn't need to, to, to be recognized. Right? We, we all have this desire within us. It's the look mom syndrome. Right? When your little kids are little and uh, over and over again, Sydney, our oldest, couldn't go 20 seconds without mom, look, mommy, look, mom, look. And usually it was something like she went, or whatever. And so, ooh. But there's this whole thing about mommy, look, mommy, look. And we all have that still today. Mommy, look, look, look at who I am. Right? Jesus didn't have that. His humility allowed him to sub- submit himself to an agenda, to an agenda that didn't benefit him, but changed the world. That's, that's humility. We're going to use a passage from Matthew early in Jesus' ministry to, to further talk about this. It's in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is, uh, this is at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. This is just following Matthew chapter 3. It's also in Luke and, and Mark and, and even John. Uh, we get the baptism story. Uh, Jesus has just submitted himself to baptism by by his cousin John the Baptist, which was a baptism of repentance. Jesus didn't need to repent. Uh, that wasn't why he was doing it. Jesus never sinned. He did it as an example and, and in obedience uh, for us and to start this movement that he was going to start. And we know from, at his baptism and as he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit afore, uh, appeared in the form of a dove. A voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Follow him. And then we turn the page, chapter 4. His first act in public ministry then was he left that place and went into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights. And that's where we pick up the story here. Chapter 4, verse 1, Matthew. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, then jump off, for the Scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. 
Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus begins his ministry in submission uh, by going for prayer and fasting. And I don't, I don't know how many of you practice the discipline of fasting. It's, it's a historic uh, uh, spiritual uh, discipline. Uh, that's mentioned time and time again in the scriptures, but not one we practice or uh, follow much in the United States of America. Uh, Most of us have a hard enough time fasting between meals um, in in that, right? I don't know if you've ever done a fast, uh, but 40 days and 40 nights, it's a long time, right? And, 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 Fasting is going to begin to affect you. And remember, Jesus, uh, a lot of times I've heard people when, when we, we talk about this part of Jesus' lives, I've heard people say, well, but he was Jesus. I mean, he's still God. So it's, I mean, no. That our, our firm belief is that Jesus, in his humility, humbled himself in the form of a human being which means he took on all of our physical nature. He still was hungry. He still got tired. He still had those emotions and stuff. And when you fast for that long, the, the body begins to sort of consume itself, right? And you, you, you get worn down and your mind isn't as sharp and you're not, you're not as alert and you lose your energy. And, and getting to the end of... 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is at his weakest point. And Satan shows up. And there's a whole, there's a whole sermon there that the enemy is always going to come after you when you're at your weakest point, right? That's the, you're, you're going to be the most tempted and you're going you're gonna to find yourself in the worst situations at, when you are at your lowest point. But Jesus, number one, the idea that he submitted himself to that. Like I said, he, there's nothing he needed to repent for. He already had a perfect relationship with the Father. He, 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 hadn't, he, he didn't need to like grow spiritually or anything. This is all an act of obedience. He was led by the Spirit, it said. He was led by the Spirit. So he's being led by the Spirit, part of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's being led by the Spirit into this, and he's obedient to it. Right? So he puts himself in this place, and we know the end of the story, right? The reason he's doing it is he's doing it for us. It's His whole ministry was a mission to save us. And Jesus was willing to go out of his way and suffer and, and sacrifice himself, not for his own benefit, but for our benefit. And so he's hungry. He's worn down. He's at his weakest moment. Satan shows up. And what's the first thing he does? He goes after his hunger, that physical need. You're the son of God. I know you're hungry. You, you, you could snap your fingers right now and turn these stones into bread. Why don't you do it? I mean, what are you proving? I know who you are. You know who you are. Don't, you don't have to suffer this way. 
You don't deserve that. As, as you notice, as you go through here, Satan was always quoting Scripture to Jesus, but he perverted it so it wasn't true. This is why I'm, I'm always pleading with you, just because you can spout off a Bible verse doesn't mean you're right about it. Because Bible verses can be taken out of context and twisted into untruth, right? And so he's, he's coming after Jesus' weakness, and he's saying, I know you're hungry, and you don't deserve this. Come on, eat. And Jesus says, I, the Bible says, I don't, I, I don't need anything other than the Word of God, right? In other words, this suffering I'm going through, I know God's gonna. I, I know God's gonna make it right. In in the meantime, he was willing to suffer. That he he wasn't gonna sell himself out for hunger because his mission was more important. And so, where this whole series is about how do we develop the mind of Christ? How do we begin to mimic who Jesus is in our life? And so, my first question for us is: I mean. He, he put himself in the place of suffering. He didn't deserve to suffer. He's the Son of God. All things were created through him and by him. He does not deserve to have to have any hardship in his life. If he's willing to put himself in suffering, and if you read the gospel stories of who Jesus is and how his life went, suffering was a constant part of it. Over and over, he was put in uncomfortable positions. He was mocked and beaten and betrayed. Ultimately gave his life for us. Suffering. My question for myself and for us is, in my pursuit of Jesus, am I willing to suffer? I mean, most of us, if we do pray, 90% of our prayer life is, take away my suffering. But maybe, just maybe, there's a part of suffering that's important for us in our journey. Maybe, maybe the humility that Jesus had to put himself in a situation that seemed ludicrous, that didn't make sense, that was not what he deserved. How many times is our self-talk about what we deserve? And if we're honest, we don't want what we deserve. That's described in Romans. All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, right? We, you don't really want what you deserve, but we, what we think we deserve. But are we willing to suffer for the benefit of others? Like the, the idea of racism or the, the idea of poverty or hunger. Are we willing to, to suffer, to go outside our comfort zone, to stick it out in hard times for others. I know for myself, I struggle even in the littlest uh, reflections of those. I mean, as, as church member, as Elizabeth was out here, I said uh, our church vows, our uh, prayer, presence, gifts, service, and, and story. We, most of us struggle with with that at times, right? It's not a, a big sacrifice for us to show up and worship, but there there is a cost to it. You have to give up something in order to be here this morning. You have to order your life in the way that 
makes this available to you. And and I don't know that you've been taught this, and I don't know if we think about it this way, but your presence in the body of Christ is not just a blessing for you. We think about coming to church so we can hear a message, but your presence here is actually a, a blessing to all of us. We're a family. And so there there's this sacrifice that we don't necessarily do just for ourselves. We do it for the benefit of others. Our giving is not meant to just go to the things that we like or we benefit from. It's, it's, it's meant to go to the greater good for the building of the kingdom, the expansion of ministry, the expansion of, uh, of, of the kingdom of God. Our prayers for others, all of that is, is a little sacrifice that we, certainly God in His grace blesses us in the midst of that, but are we willing to suffer? The, the inconvenient, right? The, the, the prayer book we're doing, right? I know a lot of you have a very developed and mature prayer life. And, and this may see sort of rudimentary or what. It's just a, a humbling to say, as a body, we, we're, we're going to do this as, as, as a unit, uh, listening together. It's, it's, it may be inconvenient. It may not be what, what your normal routine is, but are you willing to suffer the hardship for the benefit of the greater good? The mind of Christ, who was willing to sacrifice himself so that we might have life through him. The second one, then the devil, uh, verse, verse uh, 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. This one uh, is, 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 he's, this is about identity. This one, the devil takes him up to the temple. He says, again, I know who you are. I know who you are. I know that God is not going to let you any harm come from you. Prove it. Let's, let's just prove it. Show me. Show, show me your, prove to me that you're really the son of God. Right? Now, if this was me, I would have jumped off to prove it. Right? Because it, one of the big character attributes that I continually try to slay is, is uh, my, my need to prove to people that I'm right. I don't have to prove it very often because I'm always right. But... <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done anything about Enneagrams. Enneagrams are a, a, a description of different per, personality types and stuff, and I don't have time to explain all that. You can Google it later, and there's some wacko stuff that goes along with it. But it, it, it talks about what, what your fears are and what you're driven by and, and good attributes and bad attributes. And I'm an eight, and uh, what that basically means is I'm always right. 
And, um, and I need everyone to know that I'm always right. And my greatest fear is that somebody's going to question my authority and then I'm going to have to prove to them that I'm always right. Right. And so that's, that's my life and, and, and everything. And I'm always having to, to do this because, because that is not the mind of Christ. Jesus was comfortable in recognizing and, and, and we see this not only in this situation, but we see this throughout his ministry when the Pharisees were talking bad about him and spreading rumors about him. We see it as he comes before Pilate before he's crucified and Pilate's trying to goad him into a, a, a discussion that he wasn't ready for. And he, and, or, or when he's on the cross and the Roman soldiers are saying, Oh, if you're really the son of God, then why don't you come off the cross and, and, over and over again, he was so assured in his identity and mission that he didn't have to prove it to others. I, 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 I'm, I'm yearning for that in my life. I, my reaction is, if you question me, I'm going to come at you with a verbal assault that will make you believe. Right? That's not Christ-like behavior. And it's not good behavior to have if you want friends or or coworkers either, right? My question for us, if we're going to have the mind of Christ, are you willing to be comfortable in your... Instead of making our identity our work, our reputation, or our wealth, or our neighborhood, or, or um, our job, whatever it might be, what if our our identity was was cemented in the idea that we're children of God? Paul says in Romans, "If God is for us, who could ever be against us?" Right? Why why do we spend so much in it? And I know it's not just me. You may not be in an Enneagram eight, but all of us struggle in this. It's a part of our humanness that ego that jumps up and cries out over and over, "I'm important! I'm important!" What what if? What if we, we found our identity in that, that the God of all things, the God of all might, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, thinks I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread? He loves me with everything. So why do I need to cast my pearls before swine trying to prove to a bunch of losers that I'm, I'm good enough? And I'm not talking about you. The other losers in the world. What parents, man, you want to give your your kids a gift that will pay off over and over again, and you have to start early, helping them to understand that their their identity is wrapped up in who they are in Christ, especially as they move into middle school and high school and even college and frankly, we adults continue to struggle with this, don't we when when you're yearning when when it's so important that you got to fit in and you, you don't want to be the oddball out and stuff. Man, if, if we could empower our kids with that knowledge that, no, your identity is who you are in Christ. And Jesus says that, you're, that he loves you with everything he has. I look back on my life and how many stupid decisions did I make just trying to prove myself worthy of being a part of the, the, the popular group or whatever. My real identity is found in Christ. 
Jesus didn't need to prove himself. That temptation didn't, he didn't give in to that because his identity was so assured that he belonged to God. And he answered by saying, the scriptures also say, don't put the Lord to the test. Because if there was a test, God's already aced it. He's already proven his love for us. And, we, and, and on, on this side of the cross, even more than, than what was in place at the time of, of this interaction of Jesus, we now know that not only did God create everything we have, He's also done everything necessary for us to live at peace with Him in eternity. He has passed the test. We don't need to put Him to the test. His love for us is a given. If we could accept it, what would that change in our relationship? If we quit fighting with what, I mean, marriage, I know this is a common uh, struggle point in marriage where we get our feelings hurt because you don't think I do the dishes enough or whatever and and you don't know how hard I work. That's not a conversation at my house. I saw it on TV once. Everybody loves Raymond or something, but... Right? That the conflict that comes from ego against ego, the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ that Paul prayed for us to have, doesn't need to prove ourselves because we know who we are. The last one. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of him. This one is, this one is a temptation of taking the easy way out. Jesus came to save the world. He, he came to establish a new kingdom. To, to unite a broken world with a holy God. He, that was clearly his mission. And so Satan comes to him and says, okay, well, come, look, here's all the kingdoms of the world. That's why you're here, right? That, that's, that's the reason your father sent you. That's why you're here. You don't have to go through all this stuff. I know the plans that he has for you, and, and it's not going to end well for you. And, and there's, I mean, that's a long road. And what, what, Why do you want to mess with all of that? I can give you everything that you came for. And and it'll be essentially the same. The only thing, it's just one little difference. Just kneel down and worship me. It's it's just a little compromise. It's just, it's, I mean, kneel down here, kneel down there. I mean, it's not a big deal. And, and, And you'll have everything that you wanted. Now, I think this one speaks to every one of us. How many times are we willing to sacrifice our character for the easy road? How many times do we compromise what we know is right because it's comfortable or easier or what we've gotten used to? There's an old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. This, this is that, that committed understanding that if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm in it, whether it's 
good or bad, if it, if it's, if it is painful or joyful, no matter what it is. Uh, a lot of times in the church we use uh, Wesley's covenant prayer at the beginning of, of the year, and I don't have it by memory, but the, the gist of it is, let me be uh, raised up for thee or, or put aside for thee. Let me be all things or let me be nothing. The, the idea behind it is if we commit ourselves to Jesus, if we're going to have the mind of Christ, then we're in it to win it and and no matter where it goes we we are we are going to follow and be obedient that's what Jesus did again the 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 ruler of all things the all powerful god sub, submitted himself in obedience humbled himself to a criminal's death on a cross for us even in the garden that night before when he when he prayed if there's another way Please. He didn't take the easy road because he wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it for us. If we're going to have the mind of Christ, we have to be all in like that. That's the road of Christianity, folks. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, uh, heart, mind, heart, soul, mind, and strength. To be all in. If you got married in a Christian church and recited those traditional vows, we say to one another, I, I, I'm going to be with you in, in the good times and the bad times, in sickness and health, for richer or for poorer. Till death do we part. Right? That's, that's the idea of a Christian marriage, that no matter where it goes, whether, whether we get rich and everything goes wrong or whether it ends up that we're both in hospital beds together or, or whatever it is, we're in this together because we're committed. Well, the church is the bride of Christ, and we need to take the same vows with our, with our groom. That Jesus, I'm following you. No turning back. Whether it's good or bad, whether it hurts or not, whether it's inconvenient or not, I'm in this because I love you. And I know that you love the world. And when, when the world submits itself to you, all things change. And I can't control the world, but I can control me. The mind of Christ. That's, that's, that's what we are called to, to have. To, it, it changes, right? And, and frankly, this, none of this can happen by an act of will. None of us can change this by just thinking to ourselves, you know what, you're right. I'm going to try harder. That, that doesn't work. If, it, if that was possible, Christ wouldn't have had to die for us. The way this is possible is when we, when we give ourselves over to him. The, the, the language in that, in that reading about Jesus said, his equality with God was not something he clung to. We, we cling to our, our own agenda. We cling to our, our own understanding. We cling to our own comfort. We need to have that humility that's willing to let go of our own thing so that we can embrace who God has, what God has for us to, to be and to do. We have to die to ourselves so that we can be raised with Him. We have to humble 
ourselves to say my way isn't the right way. And here's what happens. In doing that, we we then give permission for the Spirit to come in. And as the Spirit comes in, He changes us from, from the inside out. A new heart, a new mind. We're transformed. Transformed into the likeness of Christ. Why don't you bow with me? Let's pray. Uh, God, we are so thankful for your patience with us. And so grateful for your son, Jesus Christ, and the example that he gave us. And every one of us struggle to live a life that looks like his. And a big part of it, God, is because we we cling to our own understanding. That ego keeps telling us, we, we know what's right. We can work this out. God, give us the humility that only you can provide. Give us the humility to let go so that, so that we can be fully who you, you created us to be in the first place. Give me a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.